We're reading John 4, 34 through 38. My food, said Jesus, <coughs> is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not, you say, for month, four months and more and then the harvest. And I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, but you have reaped benefits for their labor. John 4, 34 through 38. Several have asked me this morning what this is. I've been carrying it around. You'll see here in a minute. Okay. Um, there's, uh, I'm going to use something for as a prop today, uh, but we'll get to that here in a bit. There is, uh, we got our life groups today, and one of the things that uh, I, I just appreciate so much about life groups is being able to, to come around and, and eat. And there's something that happens when, when people eat together, isn't there? Um, when you're eating with, with people that you, you appreciate, the food's better, and conversation just comes easier, doesn't it? Um, there was a number of years ago, I remember it, the, when, when I was organizing the Great Falls Youth Rally, we wanted to have discussion groups, and our discussion group leaders seemed to, to wrestle with getting the kids to be able to talk uh, after the lessons. They would have 45 minutes where you'd have small groups of kids, and what, they were, what the instructions were is to try to get them talking, try to get them talking about what does this mean for me, and, and walk through some of that. And some groups just chattered, and some didn't. And you know how, how tough it is when you have a group of people, eight or ten people, and you're trying to get them to talk, and they will answer yes or no questions and nothing else, and there is silence. And that's tough. And so someone came up with the idea of, why don't we feed them while they're talking? And so we had our snack time during the discussion times, and you know what happened? All of a sudden, group leaders came back to me and said, Chris, our discussion was awesome. It went great. And what it was is these little Dixie cups full of celery and carrots. You ever know that celery and carrots were so powerful in opening people's hearts up? But there's something about food, isn't there? There's something about food when we come to the table and we share. And if you're not a part of Life Group or you're a guest here today, you're welcome. Um, you can talk with, uh, there's, someone will probably approach you about um, uh, joining their life group today. We just go to homes, we, we eat, we share a discussion about what does the lesson today mean for me, what can I do to put things to practice, and then we go our way and, and live Christ out in our community, living the abundant life of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. And so we're going to see today that Jesus ate with people as well. And we're going to eat with Jesus, we're going to come to the table with Jesus and see the type of things that were important to him when you came to the table with Jesus. And so we're going to start in... Oh, that didn't turn out. That didn't pan out. Okay, Luke chapter 5, in verse 27, is where we're going to start out at. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so here we have... Wait a minute... Uh-oh, something went wrong in the transition of this last slide here. So I'll walk you through it, how, how, um, how things happen here. Okay, Levi is called Matthew as well. He, has, he goes by both names, Levi and Matthew. And he is a, a tax collector. Now, a tax collector is, is someone who is not well-loved among the Jewish people. Because the Romans who there who occupied the, the area of, of 
Judah and, and Palestine, they wanted their taxes. And so they would allow people that were locals to gather those taxes. And so if you were a local and your people did not like the Romans being there, but you sold out and you gathered taxes because you made a lot of money, ooh, you're a traitor. You are not seen very well at all. And so Jesus is, you can imagine him wandering around. He's maybe in a commercial commercial center here. There's people that are buying and selling. And there's, there's Matthew. There's Levi, as he's called by Luke, that is there, that is collecting these taxes. And you can imagine some of the Jews that are there uh, just whispering nasty things. Oh, don't go near those. Those people are terrible. They're awful. How on earth can they live with themselves, gathering money from their own people and making a fortune off of it? This is terrible. This is a disaster. In the middle of all of that, Jesus goes up and talks to Matthew and says, why don't you follow me? And my guess is that this is not the first interaction that, that Levi and Matthew had with Jesus, but he's been listening to him, he, he knows of him, and he walks up to the table there and he says, why don't you follow me? Peter had that as well, didn't he, here a few weeks ago? He was in the boat. Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisherman of people. And Peter leaves everything, and he walks, and he follows Jesus. And, oh, man, I, I can't imagine what's going on in, in Levi's head and heart right now as he's sitting there at his tax collector's booth, that he's exchanging money, and the great teacher comes up and says, Levi, I want you to follow me. And the angst and the whatever, those emotions that are tugging inside of him to say, do I get up and do I follow or do I stay here in my own comfortable place? What am I going to do? And he gets up and he follows. And I think it's hard for us to realize what the, the magnitude of what happens here. And let me think about and say about it in a different way. Okay, if we are going to put together... A, a club of, of uh, we're going to have a patriot, patriot club that, that, um, that, that loves America, that we're going to promote things American, and we're going to do that. And that's going to be very important. Just imagine if we're walking around, and uh, one in your, in your group, you're walking downtown Bozeman, and, and there's a, a piercing shop, and there's a big communist flag there in, in the window. And uh, you go in, and there's, there's a... There's a, a young girl that's sitting behind the desk there that has dyed pink hair. And uh, you go up and say, hey, I would like you for you to join our Patriot Club. Would you come and, and be a part of us? I think the rest of the people in the group would be like, wait a minute here. I'm not sure we're on board with this. You know, this is not the stereotype that we may be looking for, okay? Or what if you have a, a, a situation where you're going to put together a hunting club. Does that sound good, Gary? you put together a hunting club? All right, Gary's on board with that. And we're going to talk about all things hunting, right? We're going to talk about, and, and we're going to get together and we're going to have this club. And you're walking across campus at MSU during Catapalooza. And as you're walking through Catapalooza, you notice that there's the vegetarian club. Okay? And one in the group goes over and says, hey, we're all about free range and organic. I think we're going to invite the vegetarian club to come to be part of our hunting club. Some would say... Oh, wait a minute here. That doesn't quite fit with what we're doing. This is different than what we anticipate. And so you can imagine what Jesus' disciples are saying when Jesus walks over to this tax collector's booth, who these people who are seen as traitors, are seen as being unclean, seen as being ungodly, and Jesus walks right over there and says, Matthew, why don't you follow me? 
And Matthew gets up and follows, and I can just imagine the rest of the people following Jesus at this point in time are whispering back and forth, like, what on earth is this guy doing? He is doing things that, do, that this just doesn't fit with us. This is not who we are. This is outside of who we think we should be. And Matthew gets up and he follows. And the story continues on from there. In verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating, were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay. So Jesus goes and eats with Levi. This is a huge deal right here. Because the priests that served in the temple were supposed to be ceremonial clean during certain parts of the year so they can perform their duties there in the temple. And so there's people that they wouldn't eat because if they ate with them, they would become unclean. Well, the Pharisees took this to several levels beyond. Is They demanded and chose to live ceremonially clean all year long. And so if a Pharisee was living as, as he was supposed to, he would never come in contact with, with a tax collector at all. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want anything near them because they're unclean. And so Jesus sits down at the table and he eats with them. Hey, in the time of Jesus, if you sat down at the table, you didn't just say, hey, you want to come over to my house to eat? It would, oftentimes, eating together was much more formal than that. Because you invited people who were in your same social economic class or people that were even better, and you placed them at different places at the table based on, on how prominent they were. And you see Jesus talk about these different things throughout Matthew. Matthew, in fact, talks about eating together at the table more than all the rest of the gospels combined. Matthew talks or excuse me, Luke talks about it a lot. And there's Jesus coming to the table with people regularly. And so you can imagine, here you have Jesus saying, all right, sure, I'll go to your house, Levi. I'll eat at your house, no problem. And he goes there, and he sits, or lays as they would, down next to the table there. And they start sharing this meal. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees are looking on and saying, wait a minute here. He eats and drinks with sinners. Does he not realize that what these people are up to, what these people are doing, the types of things that they're involved with, and because he sits down at the table with them, that means he approves of everything that they're doing. That's the thought process. That's the idea. And Jesus' response to that is, no, that's not it. And he doesn't say this, but I think a message we can get from this is that just because Jesus sits down at the table with these people does not mean that he agrees with everything they've ever done. Okay? What he's doing is, what the, and what the, Israel, excuse me, the Pharisees did not ask is why. Why are you doing this, Jesus? Why are you sitting at the table? What is this all about? But Jesus just tells them, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think in this you pick up some uh, Jesus using some word plays here, being facetious a little bit. In that, is anybody righteous apart from coming to God? Absolutely not. Everybody understands that. But Jesus says, I've come to call sinners to repentance. People who are, as we talked about last time, the people that come to get healed by Jesus, they come because they realize they're sick. And if someone is already thinks they're righteous, they already thinks they're healthy, already thinks that they're fine, are they going to come to Jesus in order to, to receive healing? No, they're not interested in that sort of healing. They don't need it. They don't see the need for it at all. 
And so Jesus is saying, just like someone who is a doctor or someone who is sick, when they realize they're sick, they go to the doctor so the doctor can help heal them, right? And the same is true here, is that I didn't come to call the righteous because you guys think you're righteous already. I've come to call the sinners to repentance, and the sinners are here, and that is where I go, so that they can see who I am, what I'm about, the good news I bring, and that they can, they can come. Because they're they realize they're sick, and they're willing to, to receive the spiritual healing that I can give them. He continues on here, and the, you notice the religious leaders don't just stop there. In verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. You notice what they do. They try to triangulate Jesus right here. Our disciples and John's disciples, see, us, John, us together, our disciples fast, but yours don't. They just continue eating and drinking. Why is that? Now, they're trying to, to line themselves up with John the Baptist, which we all know that that's, that's not... John the Baptist spoke uh, against the Pharisees and all the, the disasters that they were, uh, that they were bringing to, to people's lives. But Jesus answered, verse 34, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. So he's saying that someday my people will fast, but we'll talk about that another time. Hey, we're going to talk about fasting another time. Jesus is not going to deal with this right now. But what he explains here is one doesn't fast during a wedding. I remember we've had some, some weddings in just the, the time that I've been able to be here and be a part of. And there's, there's, it's a great time, isn't it? It's a fun time when, when uh, people get married and you get to come and you get to celebrate. Uh, Lyle and Victoria's wedding here just recently. Uh, that, was, that was a great time to come together. Now, what would you guys thought if I'd come, I sat at the table and said, nope, I'm fasting, I'm not going to eat. <laughs> Say, choose your time, buddy. Figure out a time better than that because this is not a time of fasting and mourning. This is a time of great rejoicing. There's good stuff that is happening here. And so Jesus says, my disciples aren't fasting right now because this is the good old days. This is the great stuff that's happening right now. There's going to be a time where they're fast. You'll see it. But right now, I'm here and I'm with them and there's no reason for them to fast because times are great. He continues on here. In verse 36, and he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. So he gives a couple of different parables here. Number one, no one tears a new garment apart in order to patch an old one, do we? We don't, we don't do that. Hey, let me give you an example of this here. Now, I am not a, ste- a seamster. Is that what it's called in my case? Is that right, Lynesse? A seamstress? I wouldn't be called a seamstress. It'd be a seamster, wouldn't it? <laughs> Taylor. Taylor. Okay. Taylor. <laughs> okay. I'm going to show you something that this is, this is de- dear to my heart right here. This is a vest that I bring out a lot during hunting season and a few other times of the year. Um, isn't it beautiful? No. <laughs> this vest I, I appreciate and I love very much because my grandfather hunted in this vest. When this vest, that, let me say it differently, the geese that contributed to this vest were flying around when, when uh, Richard Nixon was president. Okay? 
and when Brezhnev was the premier of the Soviet Union. Elvis was still making music, and people were wearing bell-bottoms, okay, when the geese that contributed to this down vest, that's what was going on in the world when this happened. My grandfather passed away in 78, and, and this is a, a, a vest that I, it still works. These geese just keep on giving. You know, amazing piece of, piece of equipment right here. A few years ago for my birthday, my wife got me this. And it's a newer garment. It's a down jacket that we got on sale, definitely. That's how it works in our house. Got this down jacket on sale. It's made out of some different material. But these geese, according to the, the company, somehow down is harvested in a humane way from this company. I'm not sure how that works. Don't ask me about that. I, don't, I can't imagine. But anyway, the point in all this is if I got a whole... In this vest right here, and you can see, you look at it, there's, Clay, you know what this is right there. What's all that you see there? There's blood stains on the inside of it. Yeah, no, you don't have to touch that one, okay? This is for hunting. It's old. It's been used and abused, this thing right here. Now, if I get a hole in this, am I going to cut this apart in order to put this one back together? No. <laughs> yes. Who said yeah? Who's being a smart mouth here? Delbert, yeah, you're fired, Delbert. No. We don't take things that are new, that are nice, that are good, and cut them apart in order to fix something that's old and on its way out. And so Jesus' point here is that you can't cut, cut up something. You guys understand this analogy. And so why would you take something that is old and try to patch it on something that's new? What I'm bringing to the world is something great, and your system as it is, as it's become so traditionalized, you can't pull the patch or, or pull something from, from what I'm bringing and patch it. It's not going to work. And beyond that, you can't take, and this is, that's a wineskin. That's what that is uh, behind me. And there's, there's all sorts of images of beautiful wineskins, and I don't think they were beautiful, the ones that, that in Jesus' day, they didn't have Gore-Tex around them and some of the kind of things that we have now. But this is just an animal skin that was made to, to carry wine. And so when you put new wine into an old wineskin, old wineskins, the elasticity is taken out. They don't stretch well anymore. You put new wine into it. When it ferments, what happens? It breaks and it goes all over the place and no one is happy. And so Jesus uses these analogies to say, what I'm bringing is not going to just patch up your system and your way of doing things. You've got to renew your thinking, renew what you're all about if you're going to become part of my kingdom. And oh, by the way, and it looks like, if, with first reading, it seems like Jesus contradicts himself because he says in, in Luke 5 there, and no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Jesus' point there is that many of you, even when you see me eating with people that need me, even when you see these miracles that I do, even when you hear all the things that I teach, and, and you're attracted to that and you're impressed by that, most of you are going to look and say, mm, what I've got is better, the old is better, I'm just going to stick with that because that's what I know and that's what I'm comfortable with. You see what Jesus' point is there? I'm just going to stick with what I'm comfortable with because I don't know if I'm ready to do what Levi just did and step out and say, all right, Jesus, I follow you. Pretty powerful example that Jesus shows for us here. And we see that Jesus says, 
Number one is that he rebukes those who, who are healthy or who see themselves as righteous. They're, they're not happy that he is, he is talking with tax collectors and they're definitely not happy that he's eating with tax collectors because that's unrighteous. You don't know what those people, you don't know what they've touched last. Jesus says, these are the people that need me and I'm glad to go to them and I'm going to welcome people who realize that they're sick because then I can heal them. Because they're the ones that will say, no, we think the new is better than the old and we are willing to leave and follow Jesus. And he is willing to lead sinners to repentance. That is, that's the big thing here. And Because sometimes we can read this, these stories here and come away thinking, well, hey, Jesus ate with people who were sinners and then I'm going to go and run full in and, and embrace people who, who are in sin. Okay, here's the balance, okay? The Pharisees were at a point where they're saying, we don't want anything to do with anybody who remotely is involved in sin, and we're going to push them away and remove ourselves from them. The other side of it is, hey, party hardy, jump on, we'll go. And Jesus sits somewhere in the middle saying, I will go to the table and I will eat with anybody so that I can help bring them to repentance. Do you see the difference there? Is that repentance is always the end game, and becoming a disciple was what Jesus is why he came. That's what he's all about. He's calling us to leave that lifestyle in order to come to him and repent and receive the abundant life of Jesus. We look at this, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that we can wrestle with that I think hopefully we grow from. One thing is where we're at right now. Next week we're going to, uh, on, on Sunday afternoon, evening, we'll have a, a meeting where you can ask questions because we've asked the church to pray about um, hiring an, an additional minister and what that looks like. And we're, we're very much, we just want to take you guys with us on this process. What we don't want to do is the elders and myself sitting in a room and spring something. Okay? That's, that's not healthy it's, because all of us walk through this together. But this is why I guess, I've asked a couple times. Now, why are we talking about this again? Why are we talking about additional minister? It boils down to this very, very simply. Is that for the last 10 years plus, something like that, Dan and I were talking this morning, the attendance on Sunday morning is about the same. People come, people squirt out the sides sort of thing is, is really basically the gist of what happens. And so there is, there's very, there's, and I, I'm careful, understand, I've had read books and books and books and, and had classes on church growth and research and some of that kind of stuff. And God is bigger than all that research. Believe me, I understand that. But one thing that comes up over and over and over and over again is that in North America at this point in time, a church can bump up against that 150 mark, and it's this glass ceiling, and until there's more help in the trenches, that's where you stay. And so the big question for us is, if, we, if our vision really is to share the abundant life of Jesus with the world that we live in, there's a whole lot more than 150 people out here beyond us that need to hear the message of Jesus. And if we're serious about fulfilling that commission and fulfilling this, this, the vision that God has given us here, to seek and save the lost. If we're serious about doing that, then we have to seriously consider what, what tends to work in our world to say, all right, we're going to put more help in the trenches and we're going to invest in that so that, um, so that there can be more work done here to bring people in and experience what we do all the time and share the abundant life of Jesus. Okay, that's the 30-second version of, of, of lots and lots of stuff there. And we'll talk about that um, next Sunday afternoon. 
And again, you're welcome to ask any questions of myself or the elders. We're just walking through this. It's new for us. We're walking through this with you in this process and praying along with, with all, of, all of you in this. But maybe most importantly for us, beyond all of that, is I hope all of us walk out of here today with a renewed sense of looking for who in my life is separated from God and sick spiritually. And taking an honest look at myself and saying, what can I do in order to cross those barriers to help show them the love of Jesus, to help to bring them to repentance so that they can come and live the abundant life of Jesus as well? And if every one of us does that day in, day out, and we look for those people that are sick among us, among the community that we live in, the people that we work with, or family members, whatever they may be, and we share the abundant life of Jesus with them, and they come to repentance, and then they bring others that come to repentance, and God's kingdom continues to expand as he has called us to, uh, to go into our communities and do. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are back there waiting for you to pray with you today. Let's stand and sing together.